I'm going to share a couple of testimonies with you before I give a prophetic word this morning. And that's kind of what I really love to do when I come together with a community of believers is I want to bring a word from the Lord, not just another sermon. I've been preaching all week, and, uh, you know, it's awesome. We started Tuesday night, and, uh, you know, every night, except for the night that New York got record-breaking rainfall, and uh, I was out there in Brooklyn, and there literally were parts of the, the city you couldn't walk. It was, like, flooded everywhere. And I said, well, I did give a prophetic word on Tuesday night that the floodgates of heaven were opening. <laughs> And that God would pour out His Spirit like floods on dry ground. So, you know, record-breaking rainfall is a prophetic sign that there's an outpouring and there's a cleansing. And I really believe that there was something about that, you know, Friday night, wild whirlpool, that all of a sudden the news everywhere, I'm getting messages on my phone, social media, and uh, I'm in the middle of the day in my hotel. I don't even know what's going on. I had to look out the window. People are like, do you not see what's happening in New York? And aren't you there right now? And, uh, and so I took that as a prophetic sign that that's going to represent the outpouring and the overflow of the Holy Spirit. How many of you are just praying for that kind of outpouring? Suddenly, you didn't even know it was coming. And it just, it just happens. And that's how revival happens. It's a, a suddenly of God, no sign of wind or rain, and next thing you know, you're in breakthrough. Next thing you know, you're in healing. Next thing you know, you're walking in a different way. And how do you know that that's not going to happen this morning when you get under the anointing and the overflow and the grace of God that there's not going to be that little extra bam by the anointing that's not going to thrust you out of whatever funk you're in and get you moving again, you know, towards what God's called you to. Yeah, I'm an evangelist, and I love talking about a big God. You know, He's got big vision, and that's one thing I've always believed about, you know, God, and I think that has to do with the gift of faith, because I have a gift of faith, and, you know, most evangelists uh, tend to have that gift of faith. And, and, you know, I've developed it over the years, 25 years of preaching full-time, you know, 73 countries around the world. You know, I started at 22 years old in Africa, in South Africa, and went all the way up into Egypt, preached in, you know, 40 different countries in Africa before I was 30 years old and saw over a million descendants for Christ. And then we moved on to India and Pakistan and South America and Europe and Mexico, all over the world, and we've seen over 2 million descendants for Christ. You know, revival is happening. You know, and, and, you know, five years ago, God really began to speak to me about America. You know, it's one thing to see revival in all these different countries, but I said, God, what about America? We, we're in need of America, revival now more than ever in America. You know, we're in a decline. We, you, know, you know, let's be, we're not in revival. Maybe you are, but, you know, America needs a move of God. And you know it's going to happen. And you know how it's going to happen? As quickly and as suddenly as the rain you didn't even know that was coming that was going to be record-breaking rain levels. That's how the spiritual outpouring is going to hit America. I don't believe we're going to be able to predict it. 
I, I think we're going to get up and we're going to go through whatever as normal as we do. And then next thing you know, the, you know, the floodgates of heaven are open and God is pouring out His Spirit and, and America's in revival. And it's going to be by the grace of God. Not of any of our effort. And you know, we want to take credit for, well, revival happened in this place. Well, who was praying and fasting for it? We always want to find, well, who was the ministry that started it? Who was the one that came in and lit the fire? Well, the Holy Ghost came in and lit the fire. Why, why are we so concerned about our part? I couldn't care less. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I mean, just don't let me miss it. At least it'll let me stand at the door. If there's going to be a move of God, whether you're going to be on the front lines of it or not, shouldn't matter. You ought to be just, let me be near it. Don't let me miss a great awakening. You know, that's what I believe we need to be positioning ourselves for because the grace of God, and I'm telling you this morning, that's the way the Holy Ghost and the overflow is going to come upon you. We call it the suddenlies of God. How many of you are ready for a suddenly? Suddenly you're in financial breakthrough. Suddenly your marriage is fixed. Suddenly eight barren women are having babies. Suddenly God's got you on your path after whatever season of spiritual battle and warfare you've been in. Suddenly you're walking in a place of triumph and victory. And so Lord, we thank you for the outpouring. And I've been enjoying it. i got to say, I've been on a high as an evangelist. You know, they say there's no high like the most high. <laughs> and I, I, I tell people all the time, I'm on a Jesus high. I'm on an evangelism high. Because yesterday, I had three services. Now, most people would think, oh, three services in a day. I'd rather go play golf or whatever else. But no, I love it. I got up. You know, started my day, it was just Jesus, and by 10 o'clock, I was teaching a class with about 18 people that want to go to the streets, most of them for the first time, because they've never done what we do, which is prophetic power evangelism, and bring God encounters outside of the four walls, and we do it out on the street. And we bring prophetic words, and we share encounters, and we pray for healing, and we give prophetic word, like prophecy, out on the street, and it works just as good out there as it does in the Sunday service. And so, you know, you're going to find out today why I love Dunkin' Donuts. I'll give you a little story uh, from the streets. But, you know, yesterday... Because yesterday, uh, we had about 18, you know, Russian, predominantly Ukrainian, actually, uh, you know, and so I had to use an interpreter. So today I can get twice as much action in. So praise God. Yeah, but I've been preaching all week uh, with our Russian interpreter. So it's refreshing to just be able to speak English, you know. Yeah. Or yell at people in tongues for a long time. And so, you know, you know and these, these awesome people, they're, you know, they're very timid as it is, you know, and uh, so they're like, take us to the street, how do we do words of knowledge, how do we do prophecy, how do we do healing, and uh, you know, and, and so we do a little activation, and then we're out on the street by like 10.30, 11 o'clock, because the service is going to start at 12.30, and so we're right there, and you know, near Coney Island, Brighton Beach, a lot of people out on the streets, and uh, so we just go out the door, and you know, we can walk within a couple of blocks, and there's thousands of people. And so as soon as we get out the door, I'm looking for my first God opportunity, and I see a guy with a beard. And I went, oh, look at that guy with the beard. I'm just going to make a connection. i got a beard. Bro's got a beard. And then I noticed 
he had like a thing on his head, and I know oh, he's, he's Jewish. He's got one of those, I don't know what to call it, but like a little cap. You know, it's like their hat, I guess. You know, they were, I saw it. And I went, oh, he's Jewish. And then I noticed, well, he was actually dressed in this robe. And I went, oh, he's a rabbi. I think he's a rabbi. And so I went, well, that's going to be the first guy I go to. And I heard it's really hard to minister to some of the Jewish, you know, rabbis that have not accepted that the Messiah has even come yet. You know, they're still waiting for the Messiah. They, they don't even accept that Jesus has come in the first coming. So I'm thinking, well, you know, I got a beard. I'm going to go for it. So I walk up to him and I went, look, man, I got all these Jewish tattoos on me. And I start using my Jewish tattoos wow. to start ministering to this rabbi. And I thought, Lord, am I ministering to a rabbi with my tattoos? Like, I mean, that's just so out of the box, you know, like, I mean. That's out of the box for Christians that are religious, let alone, you know. Yeah, it's hard for Christians to get over the tattoos, let alone the rabbi. And so, I'm like, look at my, and, and, and now I'm offending him because I got the holy name of God, and I'm not afraid to spell it, Yahweh God. I don't have, I'm not missing the letter, you know, I've got the whole thing. And so now I'm thinking, man, God, why'd you have me do that? And then I was like, and then I was like, you got a cool beard. And then I forgot that my beard is for style. His beard is for religious purposes. And I was like, you know, we, we don't have anything to do with the same beard. I'm, mine's style. His is, you know, he's a Jewish religious. So I was thinking, man, I'm blowing it here. How do I reach this guy? I'm having this conversation in my head. And I'm on the corner ministering to him. And the Lord said, well, he doesn't believe in the Messiah. So just tell him why you do. And so I went, hey, let me tell you the story about why I believe in the Messiah because you must have heard about the story of Saul on the road to Damascus and, and I'm going to tell you my story because I grew up, at, you know, I hated God. I was in the occult, a Satanism. I started using his language, right? And, uh, I, you know, you like wicked and evil? I was the most wicked and evil. You know? And I really put myself in a language that he could understand. I broke all the commandments, you know, thousands of times. I need the blood of Jesus kind of deal. You know, but here's how I know the Messiah is alive. And I talked about how I got saved in my drug dealer's trailer and I heard the inner audible voice of God. And I shared my whole testimony of how Jesus was alive and he let me lay hands on him, which wow. is another kind of, you don't do that. And I'm laying hands on him out on the street and I'm blessing him. And I said, I would appreciate if you would bless me. I, would, I wanted to say, just bless me. And, you know, I didn't know if I was supposed to say Hebrew or Aramaic or what. I didn't know. I didn't want to mess it up and say, bless me in Hebrew. And he goes, we don't speak Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus didn't speak Hebrew either. Well, would he speak Greek? No, he spoke Aramaic. And I went, oh, that's it. I thought it was Arabic. <laughs> he said, no, Aramaic. I went, oh, yeah, that's it. Not, so... God will use you just in you being you because you may be a broken, but the key to God using us is we might be a broken vessel, but God wants yielded vessels. Why does God use me? Despite myself over the years, I call it the good, bad, and ugly. You call it the highs and lows of ministry. Okay, we've all been through stuff. How do I keep going? Longevity, 25 years. And I mean, I've been through some good, bad, and ugly in the name of ministry. And most of it was just religious politics and the religious spirit. The two greatest enemies of revival. The religious spirit, the political spirit. And you know, there's going to be those challenges. You don't even have to be in ministry to have the highs and lows of, of walking with God. You know, hallelujah. So I have no idea what I was going to say. <laughs> 
I feel the anointing coming is what I feel. Lift your hands up for a second. Just take, take in a drink of this. Take in a drink of this. Holy Spirit, we just thank you. You are the rain. You are the flood. Oh, we just, you are the one that wants to glorify and lift up Jesus. We want to be yielded vessels. That's what I was talking about. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Yielded vessels. You may be broken, but if you're yielded, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. God put, knowing my earthen vessel, He put the treasure of the glory inside of it because He wanted me to let the aroma and the fragrance, and that's what that priest was smelling about my life. Because people that were with me were like, we'd never seen that. Some of the Russians and Ukrainians, they don't, they don't wouldn't let somebody, especially they like you, talk to them, touch them, share the gospel. They just brush you off and just kind of rudely just walk on. And I went, like a lot of New Yorkers, you know, I don't need God. And just. But nobody, I don't know if it's just, I'm intimidating a little bit. It's like, hey, you, you know. So nobody runs away and tells me no. You know, so I, I didn't get any rejection because I'm just bold anyways and, and full of life. So I'll tell you this story. We went to the Dunkin' Donuts. And uh, as we walked into the Dunkin' Donuts, two guys were walking out. And I noticed they were really happy. How about that? And I was wondering if they were Christians because they were so happy. <laughs> And then I thought better of myself, because Christians don't usually look that happy. We tend to look like lemons. Yeah, I'm saved. Yeah, I'm going for it. Pray for me. But I thought these guys were Christians. So I said, hey, I'm happy. You want to know why I'm happy? I'm yelling now in the Dunkin' Donuts. And I went inside the Dunkin' Donuts, and I yell at them. They come back inside. They're going out. They come back inside. And I yell at them. And I went, I'm happy because I got the Jesus juice. You know, I don't know why I said Jesus juice. I was like, oh, man, should I have said Jesus juice? Is that okay? Like, Holy Spirit, can you handle that? I know the juice is the anointing. I don't want to be irreverent, but I'm happy because of God. And next thing you know, I go, where are you guys from? It just comes out of my mouth because it seems like they want a combo. They want to know who this guy is, me, why you're happy, why I'm happy. I'm happy because of Jesus. And they said, what are you, some kind of prophet? And I went, yeah, I'm a prophet. And then I realized, how do I explain to these guys that are probably unbelievers that I'm a prophet? So I backed off and I was like, I'm an evangelist. Maybe they know what an evangelist is. And then I felt like evangelist, like I said a dirty word. I'm an evangelist. <laughs> you know, some of us are like that all the time. Yeah, you know, what are you? Oh, well, yeah, don't tell them I'm a Christian. Well, why do you have such a shame about being bold enough that when people ask you about your faith, you can't even just come right out proud and go, hey, I'm a Christian. Why do we hide it? Why do you suppress your little light? You need to let your light shine. You know, there's a lot of people that don't even want your neighbors don't even know you're saved. The people you work with don't even know you're saved. Why are you hiding your light? And so, you know, I can't hide my light. So we're talking away. And uh, I said, no, I'm, I'm not a prophet. He goes, yeah, because the last prophet was Muhammad. And I went, oh. <laughs> They're Muslims. And so I was like, well, you know, Muhammad is dead. And I was like, oh, I don't want to offend them. I just said, I actually felt like, oh, great. I said a dirty word. I'm an evangelist. And now I said, uh, Muhammad is dead. And I was like, I didn't just offend Muhammad in my head, did I? And then I was like, well, he didn't raise from the dead, and he's still dead. And I was like, man, dude, you're just beating a dead horse now. He's dead, and he's still dead. And I was like, Jesus, the only one that got raised from the dead. 
And so now the one guy goes, I know you're, you know your Bible. You must be one of those Bible preachers. And I went, let me tell you something. Yeah. And he goes, well, you know who I am? In the Muslim world, I'm a theologian and a preacher and an educator, and I train people in that specific faith, and you're wrong. And I went, what do you mean you're wrong? And he goes, well, let's talk about, you know, Jesus and who he was. A prophet, a teacher, you know, not God. And I went, nobody was God. And he goes, you don't have any evidence he was God. And I went, the resurrection. And he goes, Jesus didn't die. We're still waiting for him to come. Your Bible says that Jesus has to come first and die. And I said, I know a whole lot of Christians that don't even know that message. But yet he didn't even think that Jesus, just like that rabbi, they're still waiting for the Messiah. And I went, so you know a lot of what the world doesn't even know, but that Jesus is coming. Yeah, that's what he's supposed to come and then die. And I went, he did 2,000 years ago. Let me tell you how I know the Messiah is raised from the dead. And now I'm sharing my testimony in the Dunkin' Donuts, which we filled up the Dunkin' It's all full now. Out the door. And I've got the whole line, and we're going back and forth. And I went, you know, where are you from? Oh, we're from Pakistan. And I went, oh, this is a God connect. I was in Pakistan two times. And they looked at me like, like, why were you in Pakistan? It's not like you have a vacation. Where are you going on vacation? I'm going to Pakistan. They couldn't figure out what I, you know, were doing in a Muslim Islamic of Pakistan with Al-Qaeda and terror. Like, what was I doing there? They, they're looking me over. And I went, oh, and there was a million people in my meeting. And they said, you had an attendance of a million people? I said, a million Muslims. 99.9% that didn't believe just like you don't believe. And we're just going down in the Dunkin' Donuts. And I went, let me tell you uh, how I know that Jesus is risen from the dead. And they said, how? And I said, well, we just had in Pakistan, in one meeting, three people resurrected from the dead in front of hundreds of thousands of Muslims that didn't believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and Jesus raised three people from the dead, including a nine-year-old boy, in front of the stadium. So that brought a revival. Watch this. I went to Pakistan twice, and it brought a revival of 405,000 Muslims that gave their life to Christ because they watched three dead bodies get resurrected that we prayed for on the stage. That's how far out and how different preaching in Pakistan is. People actually brought three dead bodies because they had believed that Jesus raised the dead. And I was there praying for people. I can't say no when you got your dead body. <laughs> Holding their dead lip, nine-year-old son, mother. I was like, what do you do? No. I can't pray for this. God raised that nine-year-old boy from the dead. We had a revival. That was only a few years back. You know, we're not talking 20 years ago. And I said, I'm in Dunkin' Donuts yesterday. The whole Dunkin' Donuts now, and I'm talking about resurrection. Then we get up to order our donuts, which I just discovered, these bagel bites with cream cheese. I, and people are like, you didn't know that Dunkin' Donuts had the bagel bites with cream cheese? I was like, no, I love them. So now I'm going there to get a coffee, 
Because evangelism isn't an event, it's a lifestyle. That's right. I mean, I'm constantly telling people about Jesus. You know, I'm not ashamed to let my light be bright. And some of us are. Because the people we're most closest to, they barely even know because you mumble it out. Yeah, I'm a Christian. (laughs) And and sometimes we don't even want to be asked. I was in a season in my life where I was like, please don't let anybody ask me on the airplane what I do for a living. Please don't. Because I didn't want to say I'm an evangelist because they're like, oh, like Jimmy Swagger to the guys on TV. And I went, no, I'm not. I'm not like those guys. You know, you know, well, you're an evangelist. And their only idea for evangelist is, you you know, you don't sell snake oil, do you? (laughs) So I was like, well, what do I say? I don't want to be a pastor because that's even more like I got to be reverent. I got to have on my like suit and tie and I'm Pastor Todd. I, what do I tell him? I'm a motivational speaker, you know. And, and then you're going through your mind because you, you, you don't want to deny that, well, I'm in the ministry. Well, what do you do with the offerings? How do, how do you get money? How do you get paid? Everybody wants to understand all the controversial stuff. That's what you want to go for. You know, hey, what do you think about homosexuality? Hey, what do you think about... They always want to go for the stuff that, that isn't even the stuff you want to talk about. Because we've already got these stereotypes, these ideas. I'm telling you today, God wants to challenge you in your witness to be a little bit more bold. And as I was on the airplane, the Lord said, why don't you just come out and tell people, man, I get to go all over the world and tell people about their destiny and pray for the sick. I don't know what you think about faith and miracles, but I'm one of those guys. I'm not a psychic. I I don't call myself a prophet, but what I do is awesome. I go to Pakistan. I go to India. I go to Africa. I feed the poor, and I start making it cool, and and, and then they're like, really? And I said, yeah, I'm kind of like a motivational guy like Tony Robbins, except for I'm all about Jesus, and I'm all about the kingdom, because I got to get him a way to connect. Man, next thing you know, they're like, do you have a word for me? Uh, and I'm leading everyone to Christ on the plane. You know what I mean? Yeah. Led my Uber driver to Jesus last week. He's hugging me. Now you usually don't like guys hugging me. You know, he's, <laughs> he's so overcome by meeting Jesus because he got saved in the Uber. You know, and that's awesome because if I was only preaching when I was preaching, then I'm not really living the lifestyle. And some of us really are going to be convicted about, we just are a little dim about, being open about our faith. And I'm not even talking about going out there under the street like I took people yesterday. Yeah. You know, some of you need that just to get the bam, just so you can learn and go out with us. And I'll tell you this last story. Uh, well, there's a couple more, but I'll, I want to, for the sake of time, I want to pray for people and give you this prophetic word. But I'll tell you this amazing story. I go around the corner after the, the priest, Dunkin' Donuts. I didn't tell you the lady behind the counter taking my order. She's from Pakistan. The woman getting the coffee, she's from Pakistan. They're like, we've been here for five months. All of a sudden, all these people are coming in from Pakistan into Brooklyn. And I happen to be in the one Dunkin' Donuts. And now I've got five Muslims I preach the gospel to because the owner of the Dunkin' Donuts was from Karachi, Pakistan. And then I was able to tell him about my meetings in Karachi. And now I'm telling the whole place about Jesus raising three people from the dead. And we just took over the whole Dunkin' Donuts. Why? Because nobody says I can't. So I go around the corner now, and there's a fruit stand. Now, how many of you remember we just had Rosh Hashanah, one of the festivals, feasts? We're right now in the Feast of Booths, 
feast of ingathering, the harvest of everything in the field. So it's a great time for harvest. But we just had like the 10 days of awe, the day of atonement. So anyways, we just come into that festival where we're celebrating the harvest of everything in the field. Not a first fruit, Pentecost, but, you know, seven feasts. I'm not going to get into the whole thing. But anyways, Rosh Hashanah, when we enter into Rosh Hashanah, what I love about the first evening, you got communion here today. I like this communion. They do like pomegranates, apples, and honey. I'm like, you know, I want to go hang out at a Jewish synagogue on Rosh Hashanah just because I want the pomegranates and I want the apples, and I want the honey, because it's sweet things. They actually say you have to eat sweet things. It's a celebration, because you don't want to take anything bitter or sour into your new year. So they take everything out of their diet that's bitter and sour, and they only eat sweet things as a prophetic proclamation that abundance and fruitfulness is going to be the new year, because the new year isn't December 31st, January 1st, we're going to drop the ball in Times Square. The new year is we've just come into the Jewish new year. In fact, not only is it a new year, it's a new era of time right now. So I believe we're going to see an uptick of acceleration in the harvest and how quickly and ripe the harvest is compared to the last, you know, hundreds of years, if you want to call it that. And I believe we've crossed into a new era of the acceleration of the harvest at the end of the age. It's this one last dispensation, you know, similar to the seven feasts of Israel that, you know, every year they celebrate this cycle and I believe in God's time, he has an end time, yeah. you know, and he's going to finish that corresponding to the types and shadows that are prophesied. You've got to look at the old covenant as types and shadows to give you prophetic understanding. And I believe during this time, it could be a 500 year time period, I don't know, but there's going to be a time where we cross over from first fruit Pentecost and we cross into the apostolic kingdom where the harvest begins to take place all over the world. I mean the billion soul harvest. There's going to be a time period where a sweeping great awakening is going to happen not only in America, but Israel, Arab countries. Do you know Saudi Arabia is making peace with Israel? I mean, we are set up right now. You might be thinking war, 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 but I'm telling you, it's when this kind of stuff happens, the shaking in the war, this is when God releases revival. It's the timing of one of the greatest awakenings. And one thing about this next move of God is it's going to be a combination of all the moves of God. All the streams of the river together of the past moves of God. You'll have the healing. You'll have the prophetic. You'll have all the elements of the glory and worship. But we're going to see one thing we haven't seen in major revival. Harvest. Not in America. I see harvest in India. Had a million salvations say. I mean, a million souls in India. Why are there a million saved in India? Where's a million getting saved in America? Great America. Anywhere right now. We can barely get out to the streets. So Rossi and I go around the corner, and there's a, a, a fruit stand outside. And there's a Russian woman. She looks Russian. And I went, how do I approach her? I'm, I'm a guy. She's an older lady, like grandma type. <laughs> Russian. I might be a little scary. You know, I don't want to just walk, hey, how you doing? I'm Todd Bentley, you know. <laughs> I don't even know if she speaks English. You know, it's kind of weird. Like if somebody comes running up to me in another language, <laughs> I'm sorry, I know English. <laughs> I visit enough countries. 
you know, it's scary. You become, you know, who are they and what do they want? They're talking to me. Here they come. They're a total stranger. I don't speak the language. So I was like, okay, I need something, Lord. He goes, well, look what she's got in her hand. I went, what has she got in her hand? Pomegranates. And I went, God, I'm going to prophesy through pomegranates? He goes, yep, this is how you're going to lead her to Jesus. Pomegranates at the fruit stand. Okay, so I go over and I go, hey, let me tell you the story. I, it just comes out of my mouth. I don't even know what I'm going to say. I go, let me tell you the story of the pomegranate. <laughs> oh I was like, how more ridiculous. <laughs> let me tell you the story of the pomegranate. Do you know what pomegranates are? And then I assumed because she was Jewish, or I thought, you know, like I thought every Russian Ukrainian was Jewish, and I made a mistake of realizing that was a, yeah, don't think that way, Todd. She, she was like, I'm, I'm Russian. I'm from Ukraine. She didn't know anything about Rosh Hashanah. She didn't know anything about, I just assumed she was Jewish, Russian Jewish. And so anyway, now I'm thinking, man, I need a breakthrough here, God. He goes, tell her about the pomegranate. And when you know what the pomegranate is? It represents the law and the promise of God. And then, and then Jesus, you know, have you heard about Jesus? Of course you heard about Jesus. And then I said, you know, he wore a special cut. And then I'm telling him about the, the hem of Jesus' garment with the pomegranates. And I'm like, where am I going with this? You know, representing, you can reach out as many as touched the hem of his garment. We're made whole. Do you need healing in your body? No, I'm fine. I'm healthy. Oh. <laughs> I was like, thank you, God. He goes, I didn't tell you to go for the healing. Just tell her the story of the pomegranates. Tell her about Rosh Hashanah and why the apples next to the pomegranates are another prophetic sign. And I went, you see those apples? These apples we eat with honey. And let me tell you why we eat the apples with honey. And I'm just going for it. And the Lord said, you ready to reach her now? I went, yeah. He goes, here, we're going to throw it over the top. You're going to prophesy to her again using your tattoos. And I went, my tattoo? He goes, this is the big one now. I went, okay, show her your Canadian tattoo. See, naturally supernatural. I was, you know, this is how easy it is when you walk with God. I was like, really, God? He goes, show her. I said, well, let me tell you something. I'm Canadian. And I point to my Canadian tattoo. You know, like this is a word of knowledge. I'm a Canadian. But she goes, and lights up. She goes, I'm Canadian. Wow. I'm from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Wow. Where are you from in Canada? And now, because before she said, you Jehovah Witness. I was like, no, I'm not a Jehovah Witness, and I don't have any tracks in my hand. I'm not, not giving out anything. So she was totally closed up, and I thought I heard God said prophesy through the pomegranate. And next thing you know, God's using my tattoo because he knows what needs to be done to reach people in that moment. Well, you know what happened? She opened right up. We got to pray for her. She received Jesus Christ right there on the street. One of three salvations. Hallelujah. Because this is happening because it's harvest time. And there's an open heaven for souls. You know, I think it was the, the Thursday night. We were over in the, the venue in Brooklyn. And we must have had 15, 20 people rededicate their lives. Yeah. Yesterday afternoon in the church service, because I had to leave the streets and go into church. And I did it, maybe 100 Ukrainians and Russians. And we're in this church service, 
And there's a woman there with a testimony of how the last time I prayed for, she had psychiatric, mental, on drugs, everything, psychiatric treatments. She got delivered of so many demons. Yes. She walked free for 20 days. And then the demons came back seven times worse. She showed up yesterday and we cast out, I don't know how many more demons. And it's always fun to know you're in the kingdom because you're casting out demons. Like that should be normal. Yep. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the leper. Well, there's no lepers here. Raise the dead. Well, there's no dead bodies to pray for. But cast out demons. So, you know, that should be a normal idea of church. What do you do in church today? Preach the gospel, I heal the sick, I cleanse the leper, I raise the dead, and I cast out devils. You know, and if there's dead people to pray for, we will. If there's lepers to pray for, we will. That's the extreme side. But if you're going to preach the gospel and you're going to heal the sick, it should be normal to hear about casting out demons in church. It shouldn't be like, did he just say he did exorcisms yesterday? <laughs> yeah. While eating a sandwich, I cast out a demon. No. <laughs> I say that because sometimes we think it's such like a, how many hours did you pray and fast, man of God? Or you? And I was like, man, it's not my power. It's not my name. It's not my authority. It's not my anointing. If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God. So who's casting out devils? The Spirit of God. I could eat a sandwich if I wanted to. Come Holy Spirit, we just cast out that demon right now. Because it's not you. I'm not healing anybody. And I'm not afraid to fall on my face and get rejected and turned away, oh well, I'm a willing, yielded vessel. Amen. When does the power show up? When I'm going. The go of the gospel. It's not power, then go. It's the go. If you're not out there, there's no need for the gifts. You put yourself out there where you need a gift, and the gift will show up. Amen. But if you're not putting yourself before the needs of the people, why is the healing going to flow? If you need money... Why God going to give you money if you're not doing a $100,000 crusade in Pakistan? I mean, you need to think about, listen, money follows faith. That's been my word all week long. It's not the other way around. I get money, I'll do stuff. I get money, I'll give. I get money. You're not having money because you don't understand. Money follows faith. You have to make a demand on things you want to see in your life. If there's no opportunity... Why do you need mountain-moving faith if you got no mountains before you? So when I got no mountains, I go to places like Pakistan and create mountains because I need to exercise my gift. So I go into places with witch doctors. I go into places where I need to believe God for money. I go into places where there's a lot of demons. I go, you know, because this is why I see such a level of power because I make a demand because the impossible creates. God does what? What's impossible with man is possible with God. So if you don't have something impossible, you don't need the power that deals with the impossible. So I'm always in a place where I need some kind of something miracle. That's why the miraculous shows up in my life. If you run from anything that's opportunity to take risk and really put yourself out there for the kingdom, oh, I could never be so bold and go to the street. Well, then why would you ever need power to be a witness? Wow. People are like, I want power to be a witness. And I went, well, come out and witness with me. <laughs> that's where the power is. 
Some of you right now, it's right there. The kingdom of heaven is right there. It's close. It's waiting for you to take some kind of action. So here's the prophetic word. I was up till 5 a.m. And I had a night that I don't have often. Several times a year, maybe. It may seem like a lot to you, but I thank God it's only a few times a year. But I get caught up into visions, not dreams. These are visions. They're like trances because you're almost asleep, but you're not asleep. And you're in and out of sleep. And, you know, Daniel used a term in the book of Daniel where he called them visions in his head. That term, visions in his head. He said, I was on my bed and I had visions in my head. He was referring to night dreams or night visions. And I have a lot of encounters like that. Last night, I was so high from starting at 10 in the morning on the streets to the afternoon service, and I preached again last night till 11 o'clock. So by the time I got to my hotel, I couldn't get heaven to shut down. I couldn't get all that we were prophesying, talking about angels, testimonies of people getting saved, casting out demons. So my spirit is wide open, and the Lord said, Turn everything off and go to bed. And I went, why? He goes, I want you to choose me right now. I always choose you. He said, turn off all your stuff. Go to bed right now. And I went, okay. And as soon as I rolled over, I went into heaven. Or what I perceived to be the spirit realm. I've been there many times. I just know what happens. And first thing I see is this large angel. I haven't seen it in so long. But I knew you. I said that in my mind. I know you. I've seen you before. This is a familiar angel. And it was the angel called Great Faith. Just a large angel of great faith. Like a mountain. And so I said, Lord, thank you. That's the gift of faith. You know. And he said, no, but I got something to bring to Winner's Church today. And I went, oh, I'm having one of these experiences. He said, this long, broad sword, you're bringing this with you because I'm bringing the sword of the word of the Lord and of Gideon to Winner's Church. And this sword, of course, is the living word of Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is a living, two-edged sword. And the one that knows how to wield, listen to me now, knows how to wield the sword, maybe they're called a swordsmith. Have you ever met somebody that really knew how to use a sword? It's kind of like, if you don't know, I mean, give me a sword and someone's going to die. I have no idea. I'm probably going to fall on my own sword. Like, like, how do you even, like, maybe I could handle like a weapon today and just like M16 and just blow people out, but... If I had a sword, I would have been terrible back then when everybody had to do upfront battles, hand to hand. You're dying. It hurts the guy that way. You're getting stabbed and knifed and head cut off. And I wouldn't do very well with a sword. And those long, broad swords, but yet you had these swordsmith. And man, they could take on a whole battalion. I'm thinking David's mighty men, you know? Some of those guys. Well, I'll just take out 30 myself. Can you handle the other 20 over there? <laughs> let, let me just take out these three giants myself so that you don't have to worry about it. 
Yeah, and you got these crazy, mighty men. The mighty men of David. I'm sure they knew how to use their swords. And so I'm thinking this, and this angel of great faith said, I want you to bring this sword because there's going to be a new anointing for preaching and bringing the revelation of the word. He goes, pay attention, Todd, to how sharp that sword is. And I was like, yeah, it really is sharp. And he goes, because he knows how to rightly divide. You see, the sword cuts and carves away and divides from the soul, from the body, from the... You know, it's a living word because it's also a revelation. It's a living revelation. Jesus is the anointing of the living word with the two-edged sword coming out of his mouth to battle, to fight, to bring victory and triumph over his enemies. And so there's something about that second word, triumph. Lord told me this is going to be a time and a season of triumph because the spirit of the overcomer. I've been talking about this the last two days, but when I prayed after I had dinner with Maurice, Pastor Maurice, and, and I said, Lord, I need a word. This is the word he gave me for you as a church. And I shared a little bit about it yesterday just to see how the anointing would show up. And I said, I got this word about the overcomer and the spirit and the anointing of the overcomer. Now, overcomers are special because overcomers are overcoming. Some of you aren't overcomers. You can barely get a little battle. You know what I'm saying? Some of us aren't overcomers. We're not like the ten spies that went in and only the faith of Joshua and Caleb and everyone else was like, the mountains are too big and the giants are too big and the fortified... Some of us are like that as Christians. We can barely even handle a little stress. We stress out at the littlest, you know. And yet, you give me generals, they can't stress out. When you're on the front line, you're in battle, you're... No, but you can't handle your own, you're out the door. You know how it means to be mentally strong? And so, people just aren't all like that. There's some people are just emotionally... Help me. And some are overboard. They have to be dependent upon somebody all the time. They can do nothing themselves. You know, they're not all fighters. I'm a fighter. Amen. What I've gone through in ministry has made me a fighter. Let me tell you. The highs and lows of ministry, the political religious spirit, the battle with the devil in my own flesh over the years, I'll tell you, that'll make you a fighter. But I'm an overcomer. Because overcomers never stop. Overcomers never give up. Overcomers, they're going 40 years. They're going for the legacy of revival. I want to know. I don't care if you're facing a little weakness, a little temptation, a little struggle, but are you just settling in? Or are you fighting? Because you want to be right and you want to be holy and you know that you're not bound and you know that sin doesn't have dominion and you know better. You don't have to be in addiction. You don't have to be in fornication. You don't have to be in compromise. When you do, it's because you chose to. You have the spirit of the overcomer and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are more than a conqueror. It's time for you to start acting like it and stop blaming the devil for your flesh. Wow, wow. And if you honestly have flesh and you honestly have the devil going on, you can still be victorious 
because the prophetic word that I got out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, says, thanks be unto God who always leads us into triumph and victory. My God is always leading me to triumph, to victory. This is about to be an overcoming season for Winner's Church and for the people of Winner's. And the spirit of the divine overcomer is coming to strengthen you because some of you have grown tired and you've grown weak and you've grown weary because you've been in the battle a long time and you need the winds of refreshing. That's okay. It's okay to say I've been in the battle a long time I'm a little tired. Somebody hold up my arms. It's when we can't tell people we've been in the battle a long time and we, we need people to get around us. I, I need your strength. I need your encouragement. I need your community. I need your... I've learned to say, after 25 years of preaching, I've learned to become vulnerable. I've learned to reach out to my own team and my own staff and say, man, I, I, I'm not the man of faith of the hour and power right now. I need a little help. I need a little love. I need a little encouragement. I need a little prayer. I need a little financial help. Can the preacher be in a place where he's in need? We, we tend to think the pastors and the leaders and the people that they never have any need. We're walking in the 24-hour breakthrough anointing. Praise God. Genie Jesus, just put your finger in and I'll pop out whatever you need right now. Man, I wish the anointing would work for me the way it works for when I pray for you. It's about my gift works for you. I have a gift for you. The Spirit is in me for me. You see, the Spirit is in you for you. So you can live the victorious life. But the Spirit is on you for them. You see, there's a difference there. When God comes upon you, it's so you can use what's on you to help someone outside of you. But you have a personal dunamis in you. That's for you. But when the Spirit is upon you, that's for them. And that's what's going to happen today when I open the altar and I, I want to minister to people that want prayer, that want healing, that believe the anointing breaks the yoke. It really is only one thing that breaks the yoke today. Let's not magicalize it. It's one thing, ready? The anointing. Why can't we come back to the anointing breaks the yoke? And so the word for the Lord is academy. I said, God, why academy? He said, I'm going to do something with the word and the training and the equipping and he gave me the word academy and that's when I saw the vision the angel with the sword and how sharp the sword was and how skilled I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to say we happen to be in a school academy is not just like school it's like a second higher education and I highlighted the word higher because I believe there's a people or a company or a community that walk in a higher level. You know, we talked about Kenneth Hagin. And one of my spiritual fathers when I started out was Kenneth Hagin and Lester Summerall and all these great men of faith. I got saved and get into their teachings and ministry. Kenneth Hagin was on a higher level of revelation and teaching than anybody else of the contemporary prophets or whoever. You say Kenneth Hagin, and there's other names too, but you say them, they just seem to operate on a higher level of revelation. I've seen that here. 
Because that's what academy means. But it literally means training in a particular skill. So it's not for everybody. It's more, well, we want to have you in a specific niche or a specific skill because you have a specific purpose and you have a specific call. And the Lord said, I'm going to have a specific company. He gave me the word company, a new breed of champions, dread champions, that are going to come together under the spirit of victory. I was like, oh, Winner's Church. You know, this should be a give. <laughs> but I was like, Lord, you're bringing a fresh something to the sword with the convicting power. They said, I got a hold of the sword, I'm a preacher because I got the preaching anointing. You get a hold of that sword, you can be a preacher. You get a hold of that sword, you can be a prophet. You get a hold of that sword, you need to know how to handle and wield the sword because you can kick, uh, kill You know, with the sword. You're also to cut away what, what isn't supposed to be there because you need to be able to use the Word of God to bring life. You need to be able to use the Word of God to bring healing and freedom. And that's who you are as a people, as a tribe, as a DNA, as a people of the Word and a people of prayer, we must give ourselves continually to the Word of God in prayer. That's what you're called to in this season. And because of it, I saw like an academy, a spirit-filled academy, not just a ministry school. And I said, man, the equipping and the teaching of the Word was on a higher level like it wasn't just the normal spiritual education. But the Lord found a people like David, when he found the 400 mighty men. They called them the 400 mighty men that were called specifically as a company to come to help David accomplish what his purpose is. And there is an anointing like that on Winner's Church that's a specific anointing that calls a specific company of people out. And you know, those people that David had in the beginning, they were outcasts, they were broken, they were in debt. They weren't, you know, plugged into mainstream anything. And they were the rejected ones that maybe none of the other churches wanted to have. And then when they came to be with David, they became like David and became giant. We all know the story. That's the anointing. The spirit of David is the anointing here. And I'll tell you, one of the most fierce warlike tribes of all of Israel was described as one of the smallest tribes of all of Israel, of the 12 tribes. And it was called the tribe of Gad. And the tribe of Gad was known as the war, kind of get the breakthrough. You would put them out with, uh, you know, Judah, praise. They would go out together. Judah first. The praise goes first. The music goes through. Then the tribe of Gad. And when the enemies of Israel knew the tribe of Gad was coming, it struck fear in the hearts of the enemy because they were the most fierce, warlike tribe of all of Israel. And they had faces like lions. And they had, they moved as skillful as, you know, deer. And they were the guys you don't want to go to war with, man. They, they're tribal, they're savage. They're, you know, they sent them out first because they, they were just going to tear your face off kind of deal. <laughs> You know, you coming at me with a face like a lion? You know, you cut that lion face off to put it on? Where'd you get that lion's face? You just come back from Africa, you kill that lion? Where'd you get that lion's face? You know, they're wearing faces like lions. And they're coming at you. And they're skilled fighters. So, you know, that's the anointing I saw with the spirit of the overcomer. And the great faith is going to be infused 
And so when I came in and you said today, one thing I take away at all the times I've been with Todd Bentley is his ability to impart bigness and faith where you can just believe God for, man, my breakthrough's going to happen today. My healing's going to happen today. God's going to set me free today. I'm going to get a fresh anointing today. Tomorrow's going to be better. There's going to be an impartation. And I say it's from that angel I saw of great faith. Bringing the sword. How many want to lay hold of the sword today? And you go and read the word I told you. This is your word. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Thanks be unto God who always triumph is coming to you. I don't need to prophesy it. It's the word of God. Some of you need to understand there's 7,000 prophetic promises for you in the Bible. And you could take them to the bank. Every time I get a prophetic word, I, I'm like, yeah! Every time I get a word from God in the Bible, yeah! Because it's on the same level to me. I mean, the Word of God has more authority in Scripture. But I'll tell you, I love it when the Word God gives me lines up with the Word. And the character. You know, I'm not just talking about having visions and seeing stuff in the middle of the night. It's got to translate to something. You're not just talking about, you know, floating around on clouds in heaven and eating jelly bellies. There's got to be a reason that we're going into the Spirit and we're handling business because we're pulling on heaven and what we're speaking out of our mouth because you had a vision or a dream simply is going to be used by God to bring heaven to earth. That's why the Lord told me, if you ever don't give what I tell you to say, you just rob somebody of their miracle. And I went, wait a minute, God, you're the healer. Don't you go? And you know what the Lord said to me? Decree a thing and it'll be so. That's right. Call forth those things that be not as though they are. If you don't speak what you see, you've robbed the people of the impartation. If I get a word of knowledge and God goes, somebody's going to get healed and I see it and I don't say it, the anointing for it doesn't show up. That's how you call forth those things that be not. You can't call what you don't see. You got your ACDC shirt on today? <laughs> I got my ACDC shirt oh on today. <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting, but you know, I just revealed myself. I got my TNT explosive ACDC. And I was like, there you go. You're going to have a new level of power show up in your life. Things are really going to be the dunamis, dynamo, mighty, explosive, power, mountain moving, shaking, God delivering, turning things the enemy meant for evil. This is a time of divine turnaround, recovery, new beginnings. And Lord, I thank you for not just restoration, but restitution. It's payback time. And we release and declare the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance. Because we see the Lord turning things by His mighty power today. And it's going to be because you're plugged in to the real power. Hallelujah. You're plugged into the ACDC of the Holy Ghost and that's power hallelujah in Jesus name I knew I put on my ACDC shirt for a reason just a shirt relax somebody bought me the shirt look good I'm not listening to any ACDC not that I wouldn't I'm not too above that just a little though 99.9% .9 worship only. 
Just like movies. I don't watch any. Amen. Guys, God uses you because you're a yielded vessel. Yes, come on. Your covenant has made you as righteous and as holy as you're ever going to be. That doesn't mean we don't say, Lord, forgive me, and we get convicted and we repent, but it's done that fast. I don't know why we live in the past and live in the guilt and live in the condemnation. We've got to live in the covenant and in the reality of who we are all the time. Moment, day by day, doesn't change that. To the Lord, a thousand years is of the day. So, I mean, your day-to-day struggle is nothing to God. He's like, brother, I got you for a thousand years already, you know. How about this? I died and paid the price and took care of the sin, and you didn't even happen till 2,000 years after I finished it. Wow. So who are you to not forgive yourself? That's what the Lord said to me one time. He rebuked me, and he said, How come you can't forgive yourself when I already forgave you 2,000 years ago and died not for you, but as you? Wow. Wow. I went, oh, yeah. So how should I walk now? I should walk like Jesus. And I give no conscious thinking to the sink tank of guilt, condemnation, and shame, and regret, and failure. Because God looks at your tiny little 70, 80 years. I mean, a thousand years is a day. I mean, no wonder he's patient. (laughs) God has taken 25 years for this promise. He's like, really? It's only a quarter to noon. Come on, give the Lord a mighty shout for that. We're going to pray for some people. I will say one thing. I've got a book table in the back, and you all speak English. So you want to go to the book table and buy up all the books that the Russians couldn't buy? Uh, Two of my number one selling books that will set you on the path of the supernatural. I recommend these. The Secret Place, How to Experience the Intimacy with God You've Always Wanted. This book is about intimacy and walking with God, knowing God, and I talk about soaking and listening prayer, contemplative prayer, Christian mystics, all kinds of stuff that will prepare you for supernatural heavenly encounters and experiences. Because unless you understand intimacy, not just prayer, but real communion with God and how great it can be, and take a trip with me into the Father's house and go into nine rooms that I call like an allegory, a prophetic experience, where I went up into the third heaven and I went into nine rooms in the Father's house. And each room was a different kind of encounter in prayer. And so I share that experience. This was the message, the secret place, that started my ministry 25 years ago after a glory liquid honey cloud visited me for three months Four to 12 hours a day, every day for three months, I was visited by a glory cloud. And at the end, Jesus appeared, and I was called into ministry full-time this year on Mother's Day 25 years ago. This is my story that started it all, and the teaching that I've been teaching around the world on helping people connect with the manifest presence of God. What I'm doing this afternoon is a heavenly activation soaking session where I'm taking people into the spirit with me in the session this afternoon. We'll all be laying on the floor and soaking 
and having heavenly encounters, and I'll be sharing some revelation. But that's the foundation. I've learned something about how to hear the voice of God in stillness, in quietness, in waiting, in contemplative listening prayer. I want to give away this copy. Who does not have a copy? Bill Johnson wrote the foreword, and he wrote a great message about how he was pretty surprised about how there was much more content, theologically speaking, than he thought I was going to have in the book. So it is not just a book of testimonies. It is a great read for those of you that want to go into the deep things of God and intimacy. So who wants it? Pastor, I'm going to give you a copy because you helped me get those donuts. Or, you know. <laughs> the last thing I'm going to mention, and then we're going into ministry here, is uh, my book, The Reality of the Supernatural World. It's two books. This is a school about angels, visions, dreams, trances, third heaven, seven spirits of God, throne room encounters, where's that in the Bible, heavenly ladders, gates, doors, portals, activating your spiritual senses, hearing the voice of God, different types of dreams, different types of trances, 400 scriptures as we break out and break down, stirring up the spirit of wisdom, revelation, spirit of knowledge, counsel, might, fear of the Lord, working with the seven spirits of God. I mean, this is the book. I have prophets today that are in ministry full-time that said it was this book that started them in their prophetic ministry. High-level ministers. Chris Reed of Morningstar with Rick Joyner. Today, if you know Morningstar, Rick Joyner, he's taken the ministry for Rick Joyner. I mentored him all the way back to 2011. He said, Todd, I wouldn't be the prophet I am today doing what I do at Rick Joyner's if I didn't read your book on the reality of the supernatural. Then he called me up and scheduled weeks and weeks of those one-on-one mentoring sessions. And I mentored him in how to move in the spirit because I spent 13 years with Bob Jones and Paul Kane and Rick Joyner and all these prophets, Chuck Pierce and all Cindy Jacobs and every prophet you could imagine. And I spent about 13 years learning about the seer anointing. That's what this is. And I'd love to give away a copy. I don't have that many. Do you have a copy? Who'd like to have this copy? Is there somebody you'd like to give this copy to? You are right here. I'm going to bless you with this copy today. The rest of you. Hey, I got to eat. I got my baby girl at home. She's five. I got my other baby girl at home. She's eight. My wife at home. I've been preaching all week in New York. I eat too. How do I eat? Books. You buy books? You're supporting the evangelist and his family personally. It's not for the ministry. So, you know, be a blessing. And take home the impartation. I'm going to pray for you, but, you know, go and learn. Get in the Word. Grab a hold of what will come on your life. I, I think I have seven or eight of my books out there. You know, I've authored eight books now, and I didn't even finish grade eight. I walked in today, and I went, oh, school. What's this like? I never even went to school. I was in prison by eighth grade, and I didn't do any GED in prison. And I served in five prisons before I was 16, a three-year prison sentence before I was 16 for all kinds of stuff. But I'm telling you right now, I didn't meet Jesus in prison either. But it wasn't long after I got out, I tried to commit suicide on 40 pills with codeine. Just wanted to die. I was 16 years old, getting out of prison. And then I went on and continued a few more years and had four more uh, drug overdoses. I was a meth addict and just about any other drug I could get in my system. And I overdosed, nearly died. And I still didn't meet Jesus. 
You know where I met Jesus? In my stories there at the book table, Journey into the Miraculous. Here's where I met Jesus. My drug dealer's trailer. But he didn't want to sell me any more drugs because he said, Todd, I haven't seen you in a week, but I got, I got saved. I know that sounds weird. I'm like, what do you mean you got saved? Saved, saved, saved. Saved from what? You, what do you mean you don't have any more dope? Like a week ago, you had all my dope. You're the dope man. And now you're telling me you're saved? He goes, yeah, I'm saved. Jesus appeared in the trailer. And I went, what are you taking now? Give me some of that stuff. <laughs> you saw Jesus in the trailer. We got guns in the trailer. We got crowbars in the trailer. We got baseball bats. I was an outlaw biker. I mean, people come to the door and knock on the door. We're grabbing weapons everywhere. I mean, the house is a drug house. You're telling me, Jesus? Why would Jesus come to your dingy trailer? Light trailer trash. Park, right? Trailer park boy. Not me. Trailer park boy. You can get any more Canadian trailer park boy. That me. Just like the TV show, Canada. Trailer park boys. I grew up like that. <laughs> trailer. And so you knock at the door and people are grabbing weapons everywhere in the house. I said, you're telling me Jesus came and visited you? You're nuts. He did end up in the psychiatric ward. You know, later. But he was born again. And it took me a while, but I had an encounter in that place, you know, a few days later, you know, I came back. And uh, I was high anyways. So I don't need your stuff. But I came by anyways. And that day, there was a knock at the door. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, search warrant. I'm thinking, you know, last time it was. This time, it was Wally. Wally comes in. And Wally's got to be 305 pounds of Wally. Like six foot six Wally. Biker beard Wally. My childhood babysitter Wally. Town drunk Molly. Gangster Wally. Busted legs for the mob when you didn't pay your bill. Beneath your knees. They cracked your knee. The guy that discipled me for the first six months that I got saved, he was the other guy. They both worked for the carnival. And they would bust people's legs when they didn't pay the debt. So Wally, who I hadn't seen since I was a little kid, because he's a little older than me, and he ended up as the town drunk. After all he'd been through, did a stint in prison, and he comes back. Wally's at the door. And Wally has one of these giant white Catholic holy Bibles, the big ones that you see in the, the churches, you know. Because he's big. He, it looks small under his arm. You want to talk about Bible thumper. And so when Wally comes in, he sees me. Todd, good to see you here. And I feel cornered. You know, I'm getting a little paranoid here because, you know, I'm doing some stuff I shouldn't have been doing. And all of a sudden, he pulls the chair up in front of me. And he said, I want to talk to you today about Jesus. Wow. Well, you don't tell Wally no. <laughs> All five, six of me. No weapons in my hand now. I'm not saying anything to Wally. And I had respect for Wally. He babysat me. And so he's telling me now. I'm 22 years old. You know, early 20s. He's telling me, hey, you need to give your life to Jesus. God's going to speak to you right now. God's going to speak to you. I know he's going to speak to you right now. Well, how do you know God speaks? Well, because I'm going to ask him to. And you're going to ask him to talk to you. Oh, I am? Yeah, just close your eyes and ask him to speak to you. And I felt like I've got to get this guy. He's on my back. I feel pressure. I'll just do it, right? What do you want me to do? Speak to me, God. There. 
I said it. That's not what I said. Let me pray. God, I thank you. And then my friend, his name is Aaron, the drug dealer that got saved. He's like, touch Todd today and let him see Jesus in the drug dealer's trailer. <laughs> and he didn't know how to pray to anything else because in for his mind, Jesus comes to the drug dealer trailer. You know, <laughs> Nobody told him the gospel. He said he was alone in the kitchen. I said, are you sure you weren't coming down off the map? He said, no, it was Jesus. Look at my eyes. He busted all the blood vessels. He said, I cried on the floor for eight hours and the demons all came out of me. And I went, really, you had a lot of demons? It only took eight hours? <laughs> so I was like, you know, I was just mocking him the whole time. You're Jesus bumper thumper. And now Wally's got me cornered. And he said, take this Bible. You know, and I'm like, oh, it's so holy. Am I allowed to touch it? I'm a sinner. Like, I didn't even know if I was allowed to touch the Bible. And so he gives me the Bible. And I like, it's like, oh, what do I do with the Bible? He goes, put it on your lap. I didn't even know what to do with the Bible. I never opened it. Opened the Bible. All right. He didn't tell me where. He just said open it. And I just opened it. He goes, now, God's going to talk to you. No, he's not. I don't want to listen. I'm tired of this. He said, no, we're going to pray. and You're going to hear God. I don't want to listen. Now, all of a sudden, I take my finger. I guess this came from the 70s in the renewal movement. It was really big back then. Just put your finger on the Bible, and, just, and then just look down and read what it says above your finger. God's going to talk to you. That was what the going thing was when I got saved in the 90s. It was a borrow over from the 70s, you know, the charismatic renewal. Everybody was hearing God just, you know, open your Bible and boom, God's speaking to me today from here. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but that's how I got introduced to Jesus. And so I put my finger in the, and I read, listen now. Listen now. Close the Bible. There's this voice inside of me. I told you to listen now and you'll never have another opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ. Because the next time you have an overdose, you won't make it. I'm done giving you chances. This was my word. It was the Father's voice. But it was such love because He had a purpose and, and I was rejected. I had knowledge of God. I had Bible study knowledge. I had people that tried to tell me about Jesus in prison. I had people that tried to tell me about Jesus on the street. I grew up in America. I didn't grow up without knowledge of Christianity to some degree. I mean, who can, who can say in America they haven't heard of the gospel or Christianity? We usually already have our mind made up, and that's why we can never get to an encounter because we have a preconceived idea of expectation based on what we've seen on TV or movies. That was me. That's the whole generation of young people right now that aren't in church because they they got this funny idea of what they think it looks like until you can actually get them into an encounter with God. But I'll tell you, this next generation, watch out when they do have an encounter with God and it's not fake because they love what's real and authentic and they're tired of the fake and the phony and the hype. And when they get the real thing, they'll be lit on fire and there'll be no turning them back for Jesus. Who wants to be of that tribe? The Lord told me I was the first fruit of the nameless, faceless generation. He said you were the, a leader and an apostle in leading and preparing the way for the generation that's not your generation. But you're called to be one of the leaders in it. But the generation after you. I mean, I got five kids. My oldest is 27, 24, 
23, eight years old, five years old, four girls, one son. God gave me beautiful children. And they've all had, uh, graduated, my older ones anyways. College, totally not dad. I broke those generational curses. None of them grew up on welfare. None of them grew up in poverty. None of them have struggled with drugs or alcohol. None of them have struggled with sex. They're like, one boyfriend, we're getting married. I'm going to their wedding next year. I was like, how did you turn out so good? It must have been on your mother's side. Because <laughs> I had every bloodline curse going for me. You know, I was like, I'm bringing all the immorality, all the witchcraft, all the drugs, all the dropouts, all the we don't even finish school. And, you know, and somehow I got cleaned up enough and saved enough and transformed enough and broke the generational curses enough in my bloodline that all five of my kids are 100% opposite of what I turned out to be because I grew up in a broken home. Wow. And today there's people in here I want to give an invitation because you may be backslidden. You may not have been living where you know you need to be even though you're attending. Your attendance does nothing for your Christianity. God's not keeping a scoreboard in heaven, whether you were here on Sunday or not. And a lot of us go through stuff and we just fake it to the rest of the community. Because inside, we've lost our faith. And if we don't get real about that, there's no chance for God to bring the fire again. You've got to get honest about, man, I, I need to give my life and rededicate. I've got to find Jesus again. That's okay. I, I do that almost every year. Because I want to, not because I'm backslidden, but because I realize I could be a little more focused. I could be a little bit more on fire. I could give myself a little bit more to morning prayer. I could give myself a little bit more to spiritual disciplines in my life because I'm giving too much time to the gym and I have no time for my Bible. God doesn't mind you in the gym, but if it means no prayer and no Bible, get out of the gym. If anything in your life takes priority over seeking the kingdom first and you don't have time for it, you've got to find something to get rid of to make time for what matters first if you're really going after the kingdom of God. That's just the truth. We wonder why we don't succeed. Listen, I'm telling you, I feel the anointing. There may be people in here, you don't even know why you're here. And you don't even know if you know Jesus. Here's what I tell people I take out to the street. Don't you ask people what their faith in God is. I said, you ask them if they're born again. That's the qualifier. You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. If you can't remember the day you were born again, like I got born again in my drug dealer's trailer that day, that doesn't go away. 25 years later, I was born again. When were you born again? Place, time, moment. Tell me when you were born again. Well, I just always went to church. Dad brought me to church. I've been an elder in the church 25 years. I've led elders to Jesus. I've led deacons to Jesus. I've led priests in the Catholic church 30 years. And they thought they knew Jesus until I explained Jesus. And they were like, I don't know Jesus. And we need to know Jesus. So I'm going to just quickly do this. Every head bow. Listen, you don't want to bow your head. You don't need to. But I'm going to say this.